Welcome to Deeper Walks on the Trail podcast. You are on the trail with father-daughter duo Marcus and Stephanie Warner. I'm Stephanie, and I'll be talking with my father, Dr. Marcus Warner, as we discuss topics that help you stay on the trail to a deeper walk with God. Episode 72. Today, we are segueing from our conversation about the occult into a new little series on the authority of the believer. Hello, Father. Hello, daughter. Yeah, let's uh, dive into uh, the authority of the believer, shall we? That's yes. good, uh, good topic. Ah, I'm, I'm excited for it, and I think it, it does follow well off of our potentially very controversial episode that we just did last last episode. That was that Yeah, was not fun. everybody's going to agree with me, and that's okay. Uh, well, my, my, our motivation here is to get people to think if they mm-hmm. haven't thought about it. So, you know, hopefully yeah. we did that. And we'll have some more words in a minute. But first, for today's icebreaker, um, it is NaNoWriMo season. Which means what again? <laughs> so um, NaNoWriMo is National Novel Writing Month. And one of the big things with uh, NaNoWriMo is that you write 50,000 words in a month. So 50,000 words in 30 days, and it's the challenge that you're going to, you know, can you win this challenge? That's longer and, than half of my book, so I'm just putting it out. So, okay. Um, And so I've got a bookish Would You Rather, which I guess I enjoy, but you might, you might not actually enjoy this Would You Rather. Would you rather write or edit 50K in one project in a month? Right. I do not edit. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that one was easy. Okay. Yes, I, I I would go right. I, I'm frequently in the editing phase, but when I do NaNoWriMo, I don't really, I don't feel as much motivation to edit the words as, like, I enjoy editing, but I want to write them. Anyway, and hey, Lord willing, I will have returned from Scotland by this episode. Um, I am, you know, we're in, we're in, we're still in the so past. So many future episodes, you'll have a little brogue going on? Is that what that is? <laughs> <laughs> Mm, we shall see. We shall see. But yay, huzzah, all the travels. And I am going to be tackling NaNoWriMo, Lord willing. <laughs> I already have a schedule for what I can do, like on the week, you know, how many words that I can get on the weekends versus the weekdays. And it's going to be great. All right. All right. We'll we'll go back to what everybody else actually <laughs> wants to talk about. I'm sorry. My head isn't writing. Um, so yeah, we, we talked a lot last episode and because it was a special, I let it go a little bit longer and, um, we have more that we could say. And so I think I just wanted to give you an opportunity to say a little bit more and then we'll dive into defining some terms for the authority of a believer. But, um, I don't know, last, last episode Afterwards. Well, you know, I say I think we had more conversation afterwards between the two of us than we did on the on the recording. You know, whenever you get into topics like this, you get automatically get into things that people are not going to agree about. And uh, one of the topics that did bring up with this was the idea of origins. And you hear a lot of uh, Christians who, if something has an origin that is pagan or that is occult, they immediately label it as a pagan or occult practice. And I'm like, I personally don't fall there. I mean, I, uh, I'm i like, is it actually pagan or is it actually occult today as it is practiced is what I am more concerned about than what was it like a thousand years ago or 2000 years ago. Um, classic example, Christmas tree, right? So the, um, the blending of, because Christmas 
takes place near the winter solstice. Every pagan religion has a winter solstice holiday. And so it is not uncommon for practices uh, of pagan holidays to get blended in uh, with that. Similarly, at Easter is very near the equinox and the beginning of spring, and every pagan religion has something on the solstices, something on the equinox, and so on. And so what happens is it's, it's, not, it's, it's hard sometimes to separate out what is cultural from what is pagan, you know, from what, uh, what can be redeemed and what can't be redeemed. So, for example, I've had a Christmas tree in my house every year since, you know, I was born probably. I don't think we've ever gotten a demon from having a Christmas tree in the house. You know, that's, I, I don't, I wouldn't classify that as occult just because maybe there's some back in German Norse tradition, uh, a Yule tree. Uh, in the same way, uh, we talked about Halloween like our approach to it, even as a family, has changed over the years because early when you were young, we didn't do it at all. And we came up with Halloween alternatives, but it was partly because I was working with people who had been abused ritually on Halloween, right? It was uh, – and I knew people who were in Satanism and this was their high holy day and this was – you know. so I'm I'm very much aware of all the bad, evil things that go on on Halloween. On the other hand, as a in our neighborhood, these people don't think of it that way, and so every na- every one of our neighbors is out, and they're all coming around. It's an opportunity to build goodwill in the neighborhood, uh, and so I do things that are not occult, you know, related to that part of 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 um using it as a bridge, right, to connect to communities. But this is, I think, falls into that Romans 15 category of everybody just needs to be fully convinced in their own mind of what they're doing. My concern is more when people do things out of ignorance and find themselves engaging in things that they haven't really thought through and don't understand what they end up promoting. Um, so I get it. I, I mean, I get it why some people would be really like, oh, I don't think you should celebrate Halloween at all. And I can understand wanting to use it as an evangelistic, you know, opportunity. So they both make sense to me. And I've actually been on both sides of this at different times in my life. Yeah, that's helpful. Thank you. Well, let's continue the conversation into, um, I, I kind of wanted to compare and contrast the occult worldviews of power and authority with the kingdom Christian worldviews of power and authority. So let's let's start with definition of terms. Pat, what is power? What is authority? All right. So power and authority. Power is just brute strength, right? It's the ability to make things happen. Um, authority is the right to represent power. So for example, the federal government has power, um, because they can make things happen. They can send an army. They can send police with guns. They can send, you know, stuff. Power is is that thing that is actually um, dangerous, right? Whereas authority is the right to represent um, power. And that's why when you cross a police officer, if that police officer is operating within the bounds of the law, you're not just taking on that one person. You're taking on the government that they represent. And so the power lies in the government far more than the individual police officer. And in the same way as Christians, um, demons understand that we represent the power of the kingdom of God, 
and that they are no match for the power of the kingdom of God. Um, they're also aware that most of us Christians don't know that. And so they'll want to push back and see, do you really believe, you know, in, uh, in your identity? Do you really believe in the authority that you have? So that's the difference. The core idea is that power is the actual, you know, ability to make things happen, and authority is the right to represent that. I, I'll be honest, I've been acutely aware of that in, in many encounters with something demonic where I am very well aware that I am just saying words, right? I am saying, and that if God doesn't show up and provide the power, they're just words. But I am trusting the fact that I these that God's power is going to show up, that God is going to show up. So it's not my power showing up in that moment, uh, but I know that God has uh, delegated authority to me to represent that power. That makes sense, yes. And what, as you say that, I almost, maybe this is a random callback, but, you know, in, in the last episode, you said that people have accused our ministry before of like white magic and what yeah. would that be a case of people why people might think that because it's like you're saying words yeah like, basically so. there's a uh, there's a, a theological position that says that if you have the holy spirit you can't also have demons mm. and so if we're telling christians guess what you might have opened up the door to demons and you need to get rid of them then they will say, oh, well, that, that's the starting point. Then the second point is that you're counting on the, they, would, they would say the power of words to make things happen, which is characteristic of white witchcraft or black witchcraft is this idea that my words have power and they can make things happen. Well, we're not saying that. We are not teaching that your words have the power to create reality. Quite the opposite. Mm -hmm. We're saying that my words have no power. Uh, I am simply rep an authority. I have authority, and I am representing power. And if God doesn't show up, my words are just words. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. So, as we are continuing, a few episodes ago, we talked about identity statements, and I just have one for us as we continue into this episode, which is: We are a people who believe God defines reality, and. I think that's really important as we're talking about worldview that, I mean, our worldview comes from <laughs> that God, we're trying to get as in sync with God's reality as we can, because that is the true reality. So when we talk about occult versus Christian power and authority, um, we do, we need to address worldview. So, and specifically the worldview involving like spirits in the world, like how, how spirits are involved in the world. I think. Yeah. So could you talk more about that? Well, the uh, idea of uh, spirits in the world, in worldview come up in the simplest way I, I can, not necessarily simplest. The first thing that pops in my head when I think about this is that when I teach on spiritual warfare in America, I usually have to do some sort of a, an apologetic, like, oh, you know, this really is important. This really does happen. You really ought to pay attention to this. When I do this overseas, don't have to do that. I can skip that part of it because they already know spirits affect them. They already know spirits are, affect, are, are saturating their world. They want to know what to do about it. In America, because we've had such a, a secular worldview taught to us for so long, our Christianity has been highly secularized. And so there's a lot of people 
who are much more secular in their approach to Christianity than they realize. They believe in a supernatural God, and they believe the demons are real, but it's sort of like it gets shoved up into the attic of the house and forgotten about, and then functionally, we live as if it's all science, and it's all natural, and everything has a natural causation, and everything uh, happens for scientific reasons. But that's not a biblical worldview. That's not what we're talking about. A biblical or a kingdom worldview is is teaching that uh, spirits do cause things to happen, and that there is a spiritual causation we need to understand. Now, just saying that to somebody who is highly secular in their thinking makes it sound like, well, what's the difference between you and witchcraft, right? What you know, because they also you know, animists and witch doctors and all the rest of they say spirits are highly causative too. So what we're saying is that it all has to be understood from a biblical lens, which is that all of these spirits from a biblical lens are under the authority of Jesus Christ and, and under the authority of a sovereign God. Whereas you get into paganism and witchcraft, that's not the case, right? In fact, uh, they they see all of these powers as just yeah, constantly battling with one another, and there's a clear question as who's going to win in the end. Uh, and biblically speaking, there's no question about who's going to win in the end. There's no question about who's the ultimate power. There's no question about uh, how the authority structure plays out. So um, you might say that there is a legal and organized view of the spirit world in Christianity that you simply don't get when if it were just paganism and the occult. Mm -hmm. Do you have any stories that could help illustrate, uh, I suppose, either perspective, either worldview. Yeah. So, you know, my, your, your grandfather, right. Mm -hmm. My dad used to, uh, he's a, he was a missionary in Sierra Leone and he would say in animistic cultures that have witch doctors and things like this, it's not uncommon for people to attribute anything you do to, to spirits. And he would say, if, for example, I happen to do a particularly good job of my sermon tonight, Someone might say, well, it's because the podium you're standing in front of was full of good spirit power, and that spirit power, you know, came through and gave you the, and the ability. In other words, they're looking for a maximum causation. Um, but perhaps my favorite story on this subject is the uh, um, <laughs> missionaries who were in the Amazon jungle region and heard that a measles epidemic was coming up the river village by village, making its way towards them. And when the tribal folks who are still animists and very much, you know, spirits cause everything, but not from a biblical perspective, um, when they heard about this, they came up with uh, what they thought was the obvious solution to this problem. And that is they wanted to cut the heads off of every rooster in the village. Mm -hmm. And we're, we're, we're sitting here from our American worldview going, what in the world would cutting the heads off of roosters do? But from their worldview perspective... Uh, measles were is caused by a spirit, and if the spirit doesn't hear the roosters crowing, the spirit might not know they're there. It might skip their village and go on to the next one. So it actually makes perfect sense. So this is why worldview is important, because worldview determines possible explanations and possible solutions. Mm -hmm. And so if our worldview is off, we're going to miss the explanation, misdiagnose things, and we're going to offer bad solutions that aren't really going to help. So in this particular case, the missionary thought, you know what, I am going to, um, I'm going to uh, get out my microscope and show them bacteria in the microscope 
so they can see that, you know, it's at this level of thing that germs are causing things like measles. Well, when the uh, the witch doctor looked into the microscope, he screamed and ran out of the hut because he was convinced he had just seen the spirit, right? Mm-hmm. And so even the the his, the attempt to give a scientific explanation to this didn't really work because the worldview was so deeply in, in, entrenched that that was what was going on. This story also illustrates what my dad liked to kind of harp on, and that is that one of the most secularizing forces of the 20th century was American missionaries who uh, who went overseas teaching the Bible, but without this kind of really kingdom worldview that understood the reality of the spirit realm. And so what they did is instead of teaching things like, well, if we cooperate with God and his design for the world, then we get God's results— they simply taught, well, science tells us this. And as a result, science became the authority rather than, you know, God and scripture and, and that being the authority. So what we're looking for is, you know, a a lens that is kind of that is completely biblical, that's very balanced, and that uh, but that takes spirits as seriously as the Bible takes them. Mm-hmm. I think we've talked about this before, but i I feel like this would be a, a great follow-up story to that would be Shoefoot. Yes. So, and you can still see his testimony on uh, uh, YouTube in a couple of different places. Uh, Shoefoot changed his name to Bautista, which means baptized one. But he tells the story of becoming a, a witch doctor of a tribal village in the Amazon jungle that National Geographic called the most Stone Age tribe in existence in the 20th century. And his uh, testimony is called I'll Never Go Back. And the point of the testimony is how cultural anthropologists love to tell us we should leave these primitive societies alone. They're happy the way they are. Bad on you missionaries for going in there and trying to change them. And uh, this is the witch doctor basically saying, that is ridiculous. I hated my life. I was full of fear. Uh, you know, of course we didn't want to live this way. It was the only way we knew to live. And now that I've discovered, you know, the truth in Christ, I'll never go back. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, to that tell other us, way tell of the living. story of how he found the truth. So, um, he starts his story by telling about what he had to do to become a witch doctor, which in itself is interesting because it involved a whole lot of drugs, right. And a whole lot of hallucinogenic drugs to, uh, get himself, in, into that place. And then the uh, the master witch doctor would coach him on what to do and on which spirits were good and which spirits were bad, kind of a, a white versus black magic idea, and which ones to invite to live in his chest, right? And which ones not to invite and uh, what they would give him the power to do and different things. So that all that was kind of fascinating too, because from his perspective, he was in, had invited many, many spirits to live in his chest. And that he knew of other spirits in the area and which ones he could trust and which ones he couldn't for different things. But when he saw the missionaries, he said for the first time he saw the missionaries had something in their chest he had never seen before, right? It was this white light. And uh, and he said the missionaries themselves didn't actually have a warfare worldview. They didn't. They were. They didn't under. They didn't see the lights in his chest or anything. They, they didn't, didn't see the light. Yeah. They didn't see you know any of the spirit stuff going on. But they did talk to him about God, and he began to take what they were saying about Jesus and creation and God and 
put it into his worldview and their mythology and whatever, and tried to, and they would talk about it as as elders, like what is this babbler saying kind of thing. And uh, they gradually, though, over time, uh, he came to put his faith in Christ. And when he did, he realized that a war was going to break out if he invited the spirit of Christ into into his chest, so to speak, when he had all these other spirits there. And he, on his own, without any help from the missionaries, because they didn't have this worldview, uh, went off and he basically began evicting all of the other spirits because, you know, he realized that they shouldn't be in the same place, but they were. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's a fascinating story. So give us give us kind of a vision for, you know, we're, we're not going to take as long on the authority series as we did on the identity series, but we are going to take a couple episodes and and talk about authority. So can you give us a, a just an overview of where you're? Well, you know, when I, you know, when I'm, when I was seven and I've told this story many, many times, but uh, when I was seven, you know, a demon showed up in our living room and uh, my dad had a decision to make. And that is, I've either got to get out of spiritual warfare ministry, or I've got to teach my kids how to fight. And so from age seven, I was taught about my authority as a Christian. And I remember my dad very clearly saying, if something like this ever shows up again, this is what you need to do. And you just say, in the name of Jesus, you know, I command you to leave, and I pray for the blood of Jesus to come between me and this, you know, whatever this thing is. And... uh so sure enough, something did show up, uh, and I got halfway through that prayer and it left. And all of a sudden, from that point on, I was like, okay, spiritual warfare is real, <laughs> and authority is real. And it doesn't matter. Um, I was seven, right? I wasn't exactly a seasoned theologian or a seasoned uh, spiritual warfare you know, practitioner, and one of the things that I remember my dad saying on a regular basis was, you know, a, a police officer coming out of the academy has the same authority as a police officer who's been a veteran for 20 years. It's not a question of who has authority. The question is the wisdom and discernment you you, you learn in using that authority over time. And so I tell people that you don't have to have a, somebody special, you know, do this for you. If you're a Christian, you do have authority. Which, of course, brings us to the classic debate that people have had um, throughout this. I had, I remember several years ago, uh, somebody gave me uh, like a pamphlet and a book in the same week. And one of them was from a kind of word of faith, prosperity gospel person who was saying that as a Christian, I have all authority and that when I speak, Jesus is speaking. I'm like, no, 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 no. You're right. Jesus has all authority. Um, and he has granted to me authentic authority, delegated authority, but limited authority, right? I don't have all authority, um, in this, and certainly not the same way that Jesus does. And, and it is limited, um, because if I had unlimited authority, then I could do things like say, oh, in the name of Jesus, all false religions, you know, every demon related, every false religion in the world must must go now. I, that would be unlimited authority. Can't do that. So there are clearly limits to this. So then it raises the question of, well, what are those limits or where do they come from? And that's what led to the whole idea of a legal approach to understanding uh, warfare in the first place. 
uh, the other pamphlet I was given was from a cessationist teacher who was saying that Christians have no authority, right? So in the same week, I'm getting one that says Christians have all authority and one that says Christians have no authority. And I'm like, you know, this is this is not mm-hmm. not correct. So I, I'm happy to dive into this more. Yeah, as next we go episode this. we're gonna we're gonna dive more into those debates. All right. <laughs> For now, let me just say I don't agree with either of them. Yeah. Christians have authority. It's delegated. It's limited, but it's very real, and it's the right to represent power. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Yeah, and we'll 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 so there there's a sneak peek of what is to come. Um, I'm gonna grab a note from one of our listeners, and this person says, "I so appreciate your podcasts. Our church staff all have your book, and we'll be discussing it in six weeks." Um, at this point, maybe they're already discussing it. I don't remember when this <laughs> note came in, but um, they said the goal is to get all our home groups reading the book. And you have many books, so I also don't know which one it is. But I assume all, that's a deeper walk. I'm assuming it's a deeper walk, and um, whatever the case, that's very encouraging. And um, I love. I we've heard from a couple different church staffs that staffs. Staffs, staves, multiple we've, staffs. Yes, they're uh, from a couple of different churches that their staffs listen to the podcast together, and I think that's really wow. Yeah, it's pretty cool, isn't it? No, there's I, I've heard from several groups that are saying that we listen to the podcast as a group and discuss it. So I think that's pretty neat. Yeah. So thank you all. But hey, we're at the end of the episode. Any closing thoughts for this episode? Well, as we started pointing out, it's like it's very important for believers to understand that they do have authority when it comes to this. The danger, you know, I think is going to extremes, which is why we've always tried to have a biblically balanced approach to this. So those extremes are kind of like I've known people who are what I call warfare cowboys. It's like, yeehaw, let's go get us a demon. You know, it's like, <laughs> and, and uh, they don't take it seriously in a sense. And they think, oh, I've got, you know, nothing to fear. Let's just go do this. And then there's other Christians who are so afraid of the topic, they don't even want to hear the word demon because, you know, they just like, oh, let's just leave him, you know, leave the devil alone and he'll leave you alone. Like that's in the Bible somewhere. So we don't... not a bumblebee. Yeah. So we don't want to go to these extremes, but we want to uh, um, have a balanced uh, perspective on this, which is why we're going to be talking about the uh, legal authority of the believer and how that's used and what that means. Very good. All right. Thank you all for joining us on the trail today. Deeper Walk exists to make heart-focused discipleship the norm for Christians everywhere. If you'd like to support this cause, you can become a Deeper Walk trailblazer with your monthly donation of $25 or more. And if you want to keep going deeper with us on your walk with God, please subscribe to the On the Trail podcast, leave a review, and share with your friends. Thanks again. We'll see you back next week.